Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to Ultrasound Gel Podcast, gathering evidence from the literature. My name is Cray Bolger and I'm here with Mike Pratz and Jacob Avila. Hello. Good to see you, Cray. So we're going to be discussing point of care compression of the carotid artery for pulse determination and cardiopulmonary resuscitation. But before we hop into this article, Jacob is going to wet our whistles with a little case. This case is entitled Telemedicine Can Be a Feasible Means of Guiding Untrained General Practitioners to Perform Point of Care Ultrasound in Life-Threatening Situations, the case of a field hospital during the COVID-19 pandemic. This case series took 11 patients that had shock and a diagnosis of COVID-19. They teleguided to get the images and there's a couple things that they tried to get. They could get the IJ, the IVC, and the lungs and that actually worked out well but there was some issues with getting those cardiac views. They were only able to get those in about 36% of cases and about 25% of those got some kind of an interpretation from the expert. So it's not like groundbreaking stuff here but it is something that shows that this can be done and honestly like getting a good cardiac view is one of the hardest things to just teach even in person, right? Like you just move the probe here and you're like, actually just, I don't know what to do, but let me grab the probe. And then you just like move the probe around yourself and get that image. Like the parasternal view is hard. So I'm going to not think that that's like outside of what normal is. And I like that they're actually showing that this can be done. So a great case and excited that it's out there and we're able to play around with it. Now on to the main event. As Cray said, this article, point of care ultrasound compression of the carotid artery for pulse determination in cardiopulmonary resuscitation. This was published in Resuscitation July 2022. I believe that was the e-published date. And this article has been bouncing around the internet like a beach ball at a Nickelback concert. That's what we like to say about these type of things. It is very popular. A lot of people have hot takes on it. So we're going to give you our hot take. As you know, cardiac arrest and ultrasound is all of our favorite topics. There's so much that can be said about it. And let me just break it down. Quick background. Ultrasound can be used in several different ways in cardiac arrest. You can be looking for the cause of the arrest. You can be trying to prognosticate your ROSC or your survival using if there's cardiac motion or not. You can tailor your resuscitation based on the degree of cardiac activity. We've talked about that before in cases of pseudo-PEA. And you can improve the location of your chest compressions. And mostly that comes up when using transesophageal echo. So now we're going to add another thing to that list, helping us get a pulse, helping evaluate a pulse. And this has been talked about for years and years as well, because we know that in a lot of patients in the heat of a cardiac arrest resuscitation, it's tough to tell if there's a pulse. Maybe it's the patient, maybe it's your adrenaline rushing through your fingers, but it is challenging. It should be simple, but it's tough to say, is there a pulse or not? It's very intuitive that if you can't feel it, maybe you can see it better. I mean, that's the whole point of ultrasound. Let's actually look at things that are happening in our patients' bodies. It's usually a lot more accurate. What they did in this case was they invented a new way to check the carotid pulse using ultrasound, and they tried to find out, is it better than old-fashioned manual palpation? So who did they look at? So this was an academic medical center in South Korea. They studied patients for almost a year, about 10 months. It was adults, so 18 years or older. They had to have out-of-hospital cardiac arrest or a 
rest in the ED, which I think is important and is a total like tangent for me. But CPR in a hospital should be the same regardless of where it happens. But we know that is not the case. And who did they exclude? Anybody who they couldn't get access to the neck. So whether it was like significant head and neck trauma, anatomical deformities, surgeries, scars, wounds, etc. Or if CPR stopped prior to the ultrasound being performed. So they had CPR start. And I did really love their graphics in this paper because I thought it made it very clear what they did. So they had CPR started. And then as soon as they could, they would put the probe on and look for a carotid pulse. And they did this by completely compressing the IJ, which depending on how often you're doing this, I think also has some potential problems with it. And they looked for pulsatility of the carotid artery when the IJ was completely compressed. So they had somebody doing that. They also had another physician, which they have a lot of doctors at this facility, doing a femoral pulse check every two minutes, not knowing what's happening with the ultrasound. And it was either residents or attendings, more commonly residents. And then both of them, the sonographer, physician sonographer, and the manual pulse checker then said, how long did it take them to decide when they had a pulse just prior to the rhythm evaluation? And they recorded those times. They also then every 30 seconds during CPR would do this IJ compression for carotid pulsatility and see if they could essentially say, do you have a pulse with compressions with ultrasound? So what did they look at? They looked at the patient demographics, the BMI of the patients, which I think is really important, any past medical history, details of the rest, how long they were in CPR, what rhythms they were in, what was the ultimate outcomes, if an arterial line was placed, what was the blood pressure and other vital signs, and then if an EKG was able to be obtained, what did that EKG show? And what they were looking for was, or their primary outcome was a difference between the time, traditional pulse assessments manually in the femoral region compared to point of care ultrasound obtained carotid artery compression pulses. They also looked at the time difference in all pulse assessments, so at multiple points, not just an average, between ultrasound and manual palpation. Of the 139 patients that they were able to evaluate, there were quite a few exclusions, which I'm okay with. I mean, it's what happens. 49 of them had exclusions due to they stopped CPR, so early cessation of CPR, and then 35 were excluded due to lack of personnel, so they might not have had somebody to be able to do the carotid and the femoral pulse check. Their total amount of patients was 25. The median age was 72 years old. 68% were male. 84% were out of hospital cardiac arrest, and the most common rhythm that they had was a systole at 68%. Their mean total time of CPR was 21%, 88% had mechanical CPR. So that's just a bit of background on the patient population. And this is honestly pretty similar to what I see when I see arrests. Now, with regards to their primary outcome, which was the time difference between the POCUS carotid artery compression and the manual palpation, they had a difference here. So their carotid artery compression was 1.62 seconds, whereas the manual palpation at the femoral artery was 3.5 seconds. So it is much shorter than the manual palpation method here. For the secondary outcome, they looked at the time difference for each individual pulse check, and they had the carotid 
artery compression at 1.31 seconds, whereas the manual palpation of the femoral artery was three seconds. They found that the carotid artery compression was 0.44 times the manual palpation. Now, when we look at the 10 second kind of criteria for maximum amount of time for the pulse check, they found that no ultrasound examination exceeded 10 seconds, whereas there was five times where the manual palpation did exceed 10 seconds, which actually kind of lines up. You know, you might have somebody who's like, wait, do I feel something? Do I not? Is it my pulse? Is it not my pulse? You know, where you put the ultrasound, like that's not an issue. You can't feel your own pulse with the ultrasound machine. And finally, they looked at the percent in whom the identification of a pulse took less or equal than five seconds. And they found that 97% of those with ultrasound were able to identify the pulse within less than five seconds. And then with manual palpation, it was 76%. That's pretty impressive. I mean, especially when we're talking about some of the ultrasound articles about how ultrasound delays chest compressions, you know, everyone's always going over 10 seconds there. So to have this show us that 97% of the time you can get less than five seconds, I think that's what we're shooting for. I liked this article, well-performed study, really well-written paper, easy to read, prospective data, fairly novel in how they described the pulse check itself. I liked that idea that you go from when you completely collapse the IJ and then you're just looking for non-collapsibility in the carotid or pulsatility in the carotid. That's something that we can take forward in further studies. I like that definition there. Pretty impressive results that we just went through. Now, a couple limitations come to mind. Obviously, they're comparing carotid artery to femoral artery. Those are not going to be the exact same pressures in a cardiac arrest patient. And so maybe that's a little bit unfair, hard to say, but I think for practical reasons, it was, they did the right thing for this study. You couldn't really have two people down at the groin or, you know, you couldn't compress both carotids simultaneously. I mean, and Cray alluded to this earlier. You really don't want to be compressing the carotid for too long or even completely collapsing the IJ for too long in any patient. So I think they point that out that you don't want to impede the cerebral perfusion at any point. So just do this when you have to, to check for a pulse. One other obvious thing is there was no gold standard to say that they actually did have a pulse when it was showed up on ultrasound. They just kind of took their word for it, that it was accurate. That makes sense. I mean, I think if you have a pulsatile carotid artery, you probably have a pulse, but you know, for the sake of science, we have to say that was not exactly proven. And lastly, I just want to bring up that there was no inter-rater reliability, which whenever you introduce a new type of scan or a variation, it's always good to make sure that people agree on the definitions and that when I say there's a pulse, Cray's going to say there's a pulse, Jacob's going to say there's a pulse. They didn't do that in this study because they said they didn't save the clips. So that's too bad. But otherwise, this is great data. You guys have any other thoughts on it? I think it's interesting. My question, and maybe I'm being simple, is why aren't we doing the same thing with the heart? Like, I know we, like, do I really care what the peripheral pulse is if the heart is at total standstill? I almost wonder if, and I know we talk about this endlessly about time off the chest, but if I see zero and I throw you back on the chest, do I care if you feel something? I would argue I don't if your heart's not moving because whatever you're seeing is inconsequential. And I think that some of the newer literature is like, do we need to be doing pulse checks? or do we need to be doing it until we get vital signs? Because if you have a pulse, but you're still hypoperfusing, does that matter? And this is a whole, I guess, philosophical debate. That would be my thought is, should we just in general get rid of pulse checks? Like, should we just look at the heart? If it looks like crap and you don't have vitals, keep going. I think we're trying to do more continuous, longer CPR for better possible outcomes. That's, I guess, you know, like it's great if we can feel or see pulses, but like if you're not perfusing, you know, like, 
I, my first step would be look at the heart. My second step would be do a sonographic pulse check. Fine. But if the heart looks like poo or isn't moving at all, I don't care what you think you see or think you feel. It's pointless. Keep going. Well, that's assuming that you can get a heart view on everybody, which I mean, I, I'm sure true. you can. I cannot get a heart view on everybody. And then that's somebody who's had thousands of echoes under their belt. Sometimes just, just can't get a view. There's also like, what if the, you know, you the best view happens to be a parish journal and there's like mechanical compression going on. So, I mean, I, I think there's definitely, this is a much lower bar for the vast majority of people than getting the echo. Ideally, I mean, in a perfect world, every arrest has a TEE placed, right? I mean, that would be ideally what I would want. But in an imperfect world, I think that the carotid pulse check, it works. And there's going to be a level of perfusion at which you'll like be able to see the the either non-collapse or the, the pulsatility, which they don't really talk about here. It would have been great, honestly, to have all of these arrests all have an art line so we could see what when they are able to see either non-compression at like one level or pulsatility, even if it is compressible on another level and see what level of either map or what level of diastolic blood pressure that actually correlated to. I would love that. And I know that they did it on some patients, but I mean, they didn't do it on all. Yeah. To know. that end, they did provide that eight of their patients, eight out of the 25, only six pulse checks. They did have A-lines. They got maps of 23 to 44 millimeters mercury when ROSC was detected by the point of care ultrasound yeah. carotid compression. I would love to see what the diastolic is though. I mean, I see that map, but the diastolic is what's I think important. I mean, the, the literature, as far as I understand it, you want your diastolic to be greater than 35 slash 40 around there. And if you have that, you very likely have enough perfusion to get to the brain, which is another reason why I think looking peripherally, especially at arguably the most important artery that is coming out of out of the aorta, because the brain is like the most important thing, I think. I would argue that it, you know, it, it is beneficial. It's, I mean, I think it's the most, I mean, if you're going to do anything outside of an echo, I think that the carotid artery is the most beneficial. But the question is like, what does that mean? Kind of what you're saying, Craig, what does that mean? Does that mean that if we see non-collapse or we see pulsatility of that artery, does that mean that is actually enough to perfuse the brain? And that's who knows. But also who knows if that EF of like 15% is also perfusing the brain. It might be, it might not be, who knows? I 100% agree. And Mike's heard me rant about this, that we need some easy way of doing like MCA evaluations to see if there is cerebral perfusion during CPR. Like that would be my ideal is some sort of sonographic EKG lead that you just pop on the temporal space and look at the MCA continuously. I prefer that over TE if I get my way in the future. But <laughs> hey, while we're talking about the future, uh, going along the lines of what Cray said earlier about not doing any more, you know, CPR stops, the authors actually had this cool idea in combination with using this point of care carotid compression to detect your pulse. You can also use noise correction ECG that takes out the compression. So you still get electrocardiographic reading of what the heart's doing during compression then there's really no reason to stop compressions. So you get your ECG, you can tell if you got ROSC based on your ultrasound, you never really need to stop, keep that perfusion going to the brain and heart. It's a cool idea. Let me summarize this article. This was 25 cardiac arrest patients, 125 pulse checks. The pocus of the carotid artery took a median of 1.62 seconds compared to 3.5 seconds in manual palpation. So our take-home points from this are that pocus pulse checks on a carotid ultrasound was faster than manual palpation. But because this was a fairly small population, we still need some more studies, more data to prove this is an effective strategy going forward. 
But thank you so much to these authors. Really cool stuff coming out of this institution. We love to see this cardiac arrest research in ultrasound. And thank you, listener, for hanging in there with us. You can always go to ultrasoundjail.org, check out our website. And until then, we'll talk to you later. If a heart beats in a forest and no one can feel it, does it matter? Does it matter?